Hi, my name is Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot audio ground school podcast hey what's up pilots this is nick i wanted to take a second and talk about the ultimate private pilot test prep book now we don't have a ton of reviews yet on amazon but a lot of people have gotten it and we have a lot of good feedback from it and the reason why is because it blows out all those other test prep books out of the water right If you've gotten a test prep book before, it's got a bunch of FA written test questions. It's good for that. It's good for that rote memorization, practicing those test problems and stuff. But if you want to learn beyond that, it might have some bullet point summaries of some of the subjects. It might tell you some tips on multiple choice test strategies, but that's about it, right? So what if you want to learn this stuff at a fundamental level? What if you want to go deeper on any of these topics because you're just not getting these topics? And The reason I made this is because we don't have anything physical. And I myself am someone who really likes to study with something physical in my hands. I like to take it with me to the beach, to the park, when I'm traveling, whatever. So I wanted to make a book unlike any of the other books. So that's what I did with the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep. So how is it different? Well, it's got all those test questions just like the other books. It covers every single subject just like the other books, but it breaks things down and explains all the concepts in simple English. And then you add in diagrams and visual aids that those books do not have. And then you also add in QR codes. You know, those little QR codes that you scan to bring up a menu that came around during COVID. So yeah, you can do that with your mobile device, your iPad, whatever, and it'll bring up a video lesson on what you're watching. We also have a bunch of QR codes in there for free downloads, as well as free practice tests that come with the book. So it's on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's only 37 dollars and it's got literally everything you guys that's why it's the ultimate test prep book it's the best bet you can get for one single book when you're studying for your private pilot test so check it out good morning afternoon evening late night whenever you are listening to this episode of the podcast my name is nick smith i'm the host of the audio ground school podcast where i go through all the lessons of our private pilot online ground school the best online ground school at parttimepilot.com so thank you guys for listening today's episode is going to be a little bit shorter we just have couple reviews that we're going to read, a couple questions we're going to have, and then just one lesson today. And the reason why just the one lesson is we started on section 14 of the online ground school. And the lesson, although it's not super long, it's on airport information. So section 14 is on airport operations and lesson one's on airport information, where to get that and how to read it. It's a great lesson, important lesson. Uh, but 
The next lesson after that is on communications, and that is a, a pretty big one that I want to cover a lot because I think particularly in audio in a podcast, like a lesson, those communications with ATC and stuff like that. I mean, that lesson was made for a podcast. So I want to cover that in a full episode as well. So we're just going to wait for that to be next week when we cover those, the lesson on communication. So we'll just do airport information. Before we do that, let's do a couple reviews that we got on trustpilot.com. For if you want to leave a review on the ground school or the podcast, you can go to trustpilot.com, search for part-time pilot. Or if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review there and maybe we'll read it off here on the podcast. So this one is from Kay Douglas. It's a four-star review. I didn't know I needed part-time pilot until I signed up. But I'm going to learn it by heart and I truly appreciate that Nick has implemented three ways to learn the material which is followed up with a quiz to test that you are not only paying attention, but also comprehending. I've seen great scores on the written, and I hope to be added to the bunch that have passed. Also, if you need to reach out to him, you don't have to call a 1-800 number and sit on hold for 45 minutes. He's an actual person, and he cares about our success. Thank you, Kay Douglas. 100% true. I am an actual person, and I do care about your success, so I appreciate that. Not sure about the four-star review. No, I'm just kidding. Like I said, I'll read the reviews off no matter what, whether four-star, five-star, or whatever. So thank you for that review. And then the other one is by Duncan. Five-star review. Absolutely amazing team. Absolutely amazing support. The team goes above and beyond when it comes to any kind of questions or concern. The resources they provide are also top-notch. An amazing price for lifetime membership, audio and visual ground school flashcards, study material, just all around a spectacular setup. Thank you, Duncan. That is very, very kind of you to say, and I am glad you are seeing all the emphasis that we put on being there for our students and supporting there. And then this last one is by Brendan. Five-star review. Nick is very responsive. Nick is very responsive. It's like having your own personal teacher at your fingertips. His teaching style really helps me understand the information without it going over my head. The layout of the online ground school is clean, organized, and easy to digest. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Brendan, for the review. I think all those review kind of had a theme that one of the things we hope stands out about part-time pilot is being there for our students, not just saying, all right, here is some, you know, repackaged P-hack or far aim or whatever, you know, all the free information. We just put it into some lessons and here you go. That's not what we're all about. We're about, we know that stuff's free and you can learn all that stuff free and get it from the FAA. So add to that, explain the details behind it, give you easy ways to remember things, videos, visual aids, examples, a bunch of questions, and then be there for you when you have questions and that support. Thank you guys. I'm glad that you guys see that we're making an effort to do that. Now let's get to a question that we had from our Facebook study group. This is a fantastic group. I mentioned a couple weeks ago on the podcast how proud I am of this group. If you want to go on Facebook and go to groups and search for a part-time pilot study group, it'll pop up. It is just such a wealth of knowledge. I, I mentioned that you could probably print this off and make your own ground school out of it. Like, obviously, don't do that. That would not be cool, and no one would appreciate you using their comments and stuff in a ground school. And this just goes to show that that's how much great information is in here. So go ahead and go in there, and we have a question from there that I want to read off. This is about wins aloft charts. So we've covered this in the podcast. And the question is, this is from Brendan. Not sure if that's the same Brendan that left the review. But why does it go to 78 instead of just saying 28, 280 in the first place? 
asking about the compass readings going past 36 or 360. And what are the chances we'll have to remember to subtract 50 from the wind direction, add 100 to the wind speed for the FA written exam. So it's talking about when you go to a winds and temperatures aloft data table, you see when how it starts off, right, is the wind direction follow in two digits, followed by the wind speed, followed by the temperature, right? Obviously, the, the first two digits of the wind direction, you add a zero to that. So you could have 320, that would be 320 degrees, right? But sometimes you'll see that when it's above 360. And that's really confusing because a circle and directions only go from zero to 360, right? What does that mean? What it means is that you have your wind velocity for that entry is above 100 knots. So this is usually at higher altitudes where the wind speed can get up that high. But Brent is asking, like, why do we have to do this? Like, why not just say 2.8? Let's say that's the wind direction, so 2.80, and then the wind speed is 105 knots. Why not just say 2.8105 and then the temperature? Why not just add that digit and say it? Like, why do they do this? Why do they make it so hard? And the reason why is because back in the day when they were sending this data through like Morse code and telegrams and all that stuff, and even early days of computers, they had limited amounts of bits data that they could send. So they wanted to keep everything within a certain amount of digits on information. So they didn't want to add another digit. Plus the formatting could get screwed off because, you know, it's supposed to be the first two digits of the wind direction, next two are the wind speed, and then the next two are the temperature. If you add another digit for wind speed, then how do you know which digits are which? That plus the spacing of it all and the size of, of the data and all that, they came up with a way to express when the wind speed was above 99 knots and was actually three digits. They came up with a way to do that. They told pilots so pilots could recognize it and know to add 100 to the wind speed. And what they did is they add 50 to the two digits for the wind direction. If you have 280, right, or 28, this is for the wind direction, and instead it says 78. So if you see 78, you see anything over 360, right away you should think, oh, the wind velocity is above 100. Anything over 36, right? So if you have like 78 in that example, you would immediately think, okay, the wind velocity is above 100. What that means is I'm gonna subtract, you subtract 50 from the direction. So 78, subtract 50 to get 28. So the wind direction is 280. And then you add 100 to the wind speed. So 2805, let's say that was the first four digits of the entry, or sorry, 7805, you would see the seven, eight. So I subtract 50 of that, that gives me 28. And then I would add 100 to 05. So it'd be wind direction of 280 at 105 knots. The reasoning behind all that, and we covered this in that lesson, but the reasoning behind all of that is, again, because of the spacing and the formatting, they wanted to keep that consistent back in the day. So it's easy to read and they didn't use up more space. So that's the reasoning. And so they came up with an easy way. Maybe it's not so easy. But the second part of Brendan's question is, how likely am I to see this on the FA written? I would say you're likely for you to see a wins aloft question on the FA written maybe one, probably just one, maybe two. Whether or not that that is, has these examples where the wind velocity is over 100, I would say it's probably about a 50-50 shot. It's one of those corner cases. Maybe it's a little bit less than 50-50. Maybe it's like a 30% chance. So that's the question. That's a great question. Let's continue on. All right, so let's get on with the lesson. We are in section 14 on aircraft operations. Again, this is in your 
course titled Step 1 Online Ground School Private Pilot Lessons is where all the lessons are, the videos, the mnemonics, the visual aids, and the quizzes. Then step two is practice tests, three practice tests. After you take those, we create a customized report based off those practice tests and give you some review information and work with you to get either we think you're ready for your endorsement or we recommend taking more practice tests and we'll give you, we have a bunch more practice tests we can give you. We give those to you regardless of whether we think you're ready for the endorsement or not. But we work with you one-on-one to get you 100% ready and that's why we have a high success rate. So that's kind of steps one, two, and three. Step one is all the lessons. So that's the course you want to look for. And then section 14 of that on airport operations and lesson one on airport information. All right, so airport information can be found in several places. For the internet, there were really only a few sources that you could rely on for accurate and up-to-date airport information. Those were airport facility directory or AFD, sexual or terminal area chart, or calling the airport directly. With the internet, however, the information is everywhere. While this is nice, you still want to make sure you're getting accurate information. As all things with the internet, there's a plethora of information, but it's not always accurate. For me, I stick with AFDs and charts for my information. So airport facility directory, I think they call them chart supplements now. I mean, I'm pretty sure they kind of drop that AFD thing and they just call them chart supplements. Maybe I need to update that. I don't know if anybody cares, but anyways, they're the same thing. If I am using the internet, I either use my ForeFlight app or a trusted pilot website like AOPA, AirNav, or Skyvec. You can also print off the most up-to-date AFD PDFs or chart supplements at a link that I will put in the show notes and is here in the Ground School lesson. The nice thing about these websites is that most of the information is spelled out for you in plain English and not in pilot code. But what happens if we don't have the internet? What if we are in the air and need to make an emergency landing and all we have is an AFDR chart supplement and our sectional chart? In this scenario and in the scenarios of a check ride, you want to know how to decipher the chart supplement and sectional chart for the information you need. Probably some of these questions on the FA written exam. So first, airport information from airport facility directories, AFDs, or chart supplements. See below for a labeled AFD example for some of the more important information a pilot will need when visiting a new airport. To find information on a specific runway, look for the runway number or RWY followed by the runway numbers. All runway numbers, whether they are markings on the runway themselves or listed on a chart or AFD are in terms of magnetic direction. We have an example of Apple Valley chart supplement and we have every single thing pointed out and commented on what it means. Starts off with the name of the airport and that first we're gonna kinda of go row by row here. Then it's gonna give you the code, the IKO code, so the KAPV for Apple Valley. Then it's gonna give you a number followed by a letter. It's the number of miles and direction from nearest city. So Apple Valley, it says 3N, it's three miles north of Apple Valley. Then it's gonna give you the time zone of the airport in reference to UTC or Zulu time. So it says UTC minus eight or minus seven in DT, so that's daylight time, so that's time zone. Coordinates of airport is next, and it's gonna give you latitude and longitude. And then in the far right, it's going to say, in this example, it says Los Angeles. This is the name of the sectional chart. And then below it, it has like H dash, L dash something. And then it might say like IAP or DIAP or something like that. And so this Los Angeles is the name of the sectional chart that the airport can be found on. And then the H, whatever's after the H, whatever's after the L, those are the high altitude and low altitude IFR in route charts. And then if it says something like IAP, 
then this is the instrument approach procedure. So this is, has to do with instrument stuff. So it'll have codes like IAP, DIAP, or AD in this corner if a prescribed FA instrument approach procedure or anything like that is published for the airport. All right, so let's go now back to the second line here, and it's gonna list under the name of the airport, it's gonna list the airport elevation and feet. So here we have 3062. Then it's got some like, it says TPA C remarks, so that's traffic pattern altitude. So if you're looking for the traffic pattern altitude, it says C remarks. Um, and then it has a NOTAM file RAL. So it's just information on NOTAMs there, kind of not something you might be asked for, but just information there on if there's any NOTAMs. Then next, it's going to have information on runway info. So it's going to have the length and width of the runway. Then it's going to have the surface, what the surface is out of in parentheses. So ASPH, for example, is asphalt. And then it's going to say like S-70, D-90, or TD-150. Those are going to be the runway weight bearing capacity remarks. So you can look up those numbers in FAA documentation to see what kind of weight bearing those are. And if so, if you have a heavy aircraft, then you want to make sure that the runways are rated for the weight of your aircraft. We won't have to worry about that, but that's what that information is. Then you have like information on lights. So like MIRL in this example, medium intensity runway lights, like runway lights and other information like that to tell you what type of light are on the runways. You might have other information about things around the runways, like a hill it might just say there's a hill near the runway, or it'll have the gradient angle. So the angle of gradient of the runways it might have an angle or a slope to it. For example, runway 18 in this example says 3.5 degrees. And then it might have a, like there's an example of a displaced threshold where that might be or how long that is and it might pappies or vassies it'll list here let's see here touchdown zone distances and then traffic patterns if it's non-standard right standard traffic pattern direction is left if it's a right traffic pattern which is non-standard then it'll list it. it'll say rgt tfc so for example in this example we have runway 36 and runway 8 which say at the end uh, right traffic those runways have right traffic patterns Next up, you're going to see stuff about services at the airport. For example, service S4, that's a service code. It tells you what types of services they have there. S4, for example, is major airframe and power plant repairs. Again, you can, in each chart supplement book, it'll have kind of these codes and a legend for all this information in that book that you can look up and if you want to know the details of each code. And then I'll tell you the fuel, like for example, 100 LL, low lead and, and jet A. So they have those fuel services. And then, then you'll have airport remarks. These are pretty standard. I mean, like they're pretty comprehensive. For example, this says attended 1600 to 0100 Zulu. So that's when the airport power is attended. Parachute jumping. So there's parachute jumping there. Fuel available, 24 hours call. And they give the number aerobatic training northeast area of airport uh, again some more hazards that they're going to list out runway 8 and 26 closed to aircraft over 12,500 pounds without ppr from airport managers again if you're above that so there's really important information in the remarks so you really want to make sure if you're flying into new airport that you read all the remarks there's some more information about trains so if you want to know if for example you're doing takeoff and landing distances and you want to know if you need to plan for going over a 50 foot obstacle or not 
these airport remarks are where you would find that information, right? For example, it says rapidly rising terrain east and west of runway west to 3,890 feet within 1.5 nautical miles and east to 3,910 feet within 1.7 nautical miles. So information like that going to be found in the remark. And then it has the airport manager phone number. So if you have any questions, you call there, the airport manager. When in doubt, just call them, ask them. Next, you're going to have information on communications. So you have a line CTAF Unicom frequency, 122.8 there. And then you'll have controlling flight following radios in that area. So for example, this says Barstow RCO, and then it has the name of it, Riverside Radio. And it has a Joshua approach and departure control. So it has those frequencies. Then it'll list radio aids to navigation. It'll say NOTAM file DAG. So that's information regarding any NOTAMs. So the NOTAM file, you might find information for these at, it's referring to DAGIT, which is a Vortac below it, but it says the nearest nav aids, nearest nav aid will be listed first. And then they might have some, some other near nav aids. For this example, we just have the one, but it says nearest nav aid is DAGIT. Tells you the frequency, the channel, that's for military use. And then it tells you the coordinates of the facilities, the latitude, longitude. And then it tells you direction and distance from the airport. So it says 218 degrees, 38 nautical miles to field. If you want to find out where that is or kind of what DME and bearing you should have, you should be on if you're using that Vortec when you're over the airport. And then it has information on what kind of weather information it has. Like it has a high wash, so that's listed as well. Then the last line is communication, navigation, and weather remarks. So it just tells you this example. It says automated Unicom 3 clicks, advisory, four clicks, radio check. So to get ATIS weather info, click the mic three times while on the Unicom frequency. Uh, so just remarks on how to get weather information. And then in the middle of this all, it has a little mini sort of diagram of the runways and the airport from a bird's eye view. And it's got some interesting symbols in there it's got like the beacon location is a star the windsock location looks like like a pom-pom almost it's got the runway numbers the runway distances and the width of the runway which is important to know it's got markings for a displaced threshold it's like a infinity sign the sign for an infinity like a sideways eight but like three of them so three circles that's the sign for a displaced threshold and then it's got precision approach like indicators for where a pappy would be or a VASI would be, so a PAPI is a P with a circle around it, VASI would be a V with a circle around it. It shows you where those would be on the runways, what side of the runways and stuff and where they're at. It shows you stopways, taxiways, parkings are like kind of in a light gray surrounding the runways and the runways are in black. And then the, the airport diagram in general is oriented such that the top is true north. So it's oriented so the top's true north. Those are in terms of magnetic north, just something to remember. It might have little diagrams of trees or any other hazards like parachute drop zone listed on here shows that location. So I think that's about it for that example. One thing here in the ground school says not seen in the above example are something called incursion hotspot zones. A hotspot is defined as a location on an airport movement area with a history of potential risk of collision or runway incursion and where heightened attention by pilots and drivers is necessary they are depicted with chart with circles and labeled with hs you'll find these kind of on airport diagrams it would say hs that's a hot spot zone so these are airport movement areas that have a history of collisions so we want to watch out for those okay so you can also get airport information not as much so the chart supplement afd is going to be your most comprehensive airport information 
but you can also get it from your sectional chart. And you might be asked how to decipher the information next to an airport on a sectional chart. So we're gonna talk about that here. And you can get quite a bit of information from the little box of information on a sectional chart around a, an airport. So it says see below for a sectional chart. And we'll talk about this, we'll kind of explain it. A great source for information is the legend on the chart itself. So on your sectional charts, there's a legend and that's gonna tell you, should tell you what all of this means, but I will break it down to you as well. So you're gonna have the airport symbol, right? It's either gonna be an enclosed circle with kind of like hollowed out runways, or it's gonna be just a outline of the runways, or it could just be a circle. And we have those listed on what those all mean. To just be brief, a blue airport symbol means it's controlled. Magenta means it's uncontrolled. Circular symbol indicates hard surface runways, 1,500 feet to 8,069 feet. Not sure how they came up with those <laughs> distances. And the ticks surrounding symbol represents service fuel available during normal hours. So if it has like ticks in the north, south, east direction off the circle, then it's going to tell you that it has fuel services. And then a star at the top of the symbol represents that there's a rotating airport beacon in operation sunset to sunrise. So that's good to know if it has a rotating beacon so you can spot it in low visibility or at night. All right, and then it's going to have right below it or next to it, it's gonna have information. It's gonna start with the airport name. So this example says Santa Barbara and then the airport identifier in parentheses. So SBA, that would be KSBA, the ICAO. And then a solid lined box surrounding airport name would indicate that 14 CFR part 93 special requirements on traffic pattern info exists. So if there's a, a solid box around it, that's what that means. And then the next line down, we're, we're going to go left to right. If it has a CT that indicates what follows is going to be the tower's associated frequency. So the control tower frequency. So say CT and in this example, 119.7. So the control tower frequency for Santa Barbara is 119.7. And then a star followed by that frequency tells you that the tower operates part-time. So it's not 24-7. That would indicate, hey, if you're flying in here, go check out the chart supplement to see when that tower is operational, what hours is operational, because they're not 24-7. Then you might see a C with inside a circle, a filled circle that's either blue or magenta depending on whether the aircraft is controlled or not. But a C inside a, a circle indicates previously listed frequency is also the common traffic air advisory frequency. So that 119.7, when the tower is not in use, that's the CTAP. Following that, it might say the ATIS if the airport has ATIS. So it'll say ATIS and then it'll follow by a frequency. So in this example, the ATIS frequency is 132.65. Then the next line is going to start off with first number indicates elevation in feet and it's gonna be in total feet. So this one at Santa Barbara is 13 feet of elevation. Then it's gonna have information on lighting. So an L indicates lighting in operation sunrise to sunset. A star followed by an L indicates lighting limitations exist and you should look at the chart supplement AFD for that. So again, stars kind of always say there's limitations. It's not always 24 seven. So look at the chart supplement to get those hours. The last number after the L indicates the longest runway in hundreds of feet. So the L talks about lighting. The number after that is the longest runway in hundreds of feet. So this is good, uh, quick kind of reference. If you need somewhere to land and you find an airport on your sectional chart, you can look right there and say, okay, this is the longest runway. So that's good because I need a long runway because I have heavy aircraft or something, right? So that's good, quick reference there. 
Then uh, it might list a Unicom frequency. So for this example is 122.95. And then the final line is gonna have if there is any non-standard traffic pattern directions. So again, standard is left pattern traffic. So if there's any right traffic patterns, it's gonna let's say RP followed by the runway number. So in this example, it says RP 733. This means that runway seven and 33 are right traffic. And if it says RP star, it indicates again, the special conditions exist and you should see the chart supplement. So that's it. That's all you really need to know to read those runway symbols and information on a sectional chart. Now, there are a ton of symbols on a sectional chart. And when we get into the section of the course on navigation, I think that's the next section, we're going to talk about the symbols. I just want to say I recommend focusing on the ones you will be tested on. These are the ones that you will be quizzed on here in our practice test and are generally in regards to communications, nav aids, airports, airspaces, obstacles, and out. There's a lot other things that help pilots spot things like rivers, roads, stuff like that. The chances are, are less likely that you'll be asked on that stuff. So if you can memorize all the symbols, that's great, but I don't think anyone in the world can do that. I'm sure there's someone actually, but if you want to focus, focus on nav aids, communications, airspace, airports, obstacles, and altitudes, right? Those are kind of the general things. And specifically, so when we get into the navigation section, we'll have a lesson completely on these symbols. It's a really good comprehensive list of all the symbols we know. And so we'll share that with you, but you know, use, use that lesson and use the legend on your chart to help you decipher those symbols. But yeah, if you still can't find what you're looking for, you can ask in the part-time pilot Facebook group. All right, so I have a video here on how to read this information. So I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you guys for listening. Again, we're just going to do this one lesson today. Next week, we're going to do a lesson on communications. So that should be a little bit longer episode. I'm thinking I'm going to do a bonus episode. I'm just trying to think of how I can get creative so we can have almost some like mock ATC type of situation to help you practice for talking to ATC. Okay, so... If you guys haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so. Helps us out a lot and leave us a review. You might get it read off. And as always, safe flying. Keep up the good work and studying. I know it's a lot, but just take it one day at a time and we're here for your questions. All right, guys, take it easy and I'll talk to you later. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, 
It's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna start to get behind the aircraft and when this happens if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft they start making mistakes and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again and they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family they finally say you know what this has to stop we can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress you know and they end up quitting now so how do we avoid that well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read, so for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step -step examples and the procedures that we have. 
or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices have that visual cue those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding or you can watch our videos or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts the way we explain things in plain written English and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.